Peter Harrod here from the Dynasty Crossroads Show. I hope you can check us out, or actually just me now. Hope you can check me out. Come check me out. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow. Welcome to the DLF Dynasty Podcast with your hosts, Dan Myler, Ryan McDowell, and Matt Price. Yes, it is the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I am Dan. That's Ryan. Over there is Matt. It's episode 501 of the podcast. Ryan, I, I have to apologize to all our listeners right away. Feeling a little under the weather, a little nasally. Got a little, little bit of a deep voice this week, so uh, maybe somebody will find that sultry. Uh, I guess it's 502, right, Ryan? It's, this is episode 502, so maybe the, maybe the sickness is, is sinking into my brain, too. It's taking over. Hopefully, it doesn't affect your uh, your dynasty takes today. We'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll see. Matt, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Dan. I'd, I'd like to get a little bit of uh, "Can't Get Enough of Your Love, Babe" by Barry White and see <laughs> see how that sounds. I'd like a little "Can't Get Enough of Your Love" too. But um, we got a big show today, guys. We're going to talk trade. Little conversation about the 101 in rookie drafts. We're also going to do a startup mock draft, our first of many. Uh, upcoming mock drafts that we'll do this off season, but first, the startup. Yes, it's the startup, and you know I know guys that not every coaching vacancy has been filled just yet, but we're getting to the point of the year where it gets hot and heavy for us as far as dynasty managers. We want to talk about all these rookies week in and week out, so we're not going to have. A lot more opportunities to talk about the coaching carousel. A handful of spots have been filled. There's still a few that need to be, uh, they need to pick their guy yet. But we decided to, to go through all these coaching changes, head coaching changes, and, and make some notes about them. Try to, try to identify some dynasty targets, some, some guys we're going to fade moving forward because of these coaching changes. I'll quickly go over all of them. The Giants, they went with Brian Dable. From Buffalo, their offensive coordinator. Then the Bears took Matt Eberflus, uh, Indianapolis defensive coordinator. The Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers offensive coordinator, to be their head guy. Then the Raiders got Josh McDaniels from New England. Jaguars, they, they went with Doug Peterson, the former Philadelphia Eagles head coach. And it sounds like the Vikings are going to go with Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. Once the Super Bowl is in the books, there's still a few openings, of course, the Texans, the Dolphins and the Saints. We should get news on those in the coming days or, or weeks, maybe, uh, but sooner rather than later. Right. Might might be a while on Miami. We'll see, yeah, see what happens there. Pretty messy. Uh, <laughs> so I thought each of us would pick one of these fellas and and just let me know, let the listeners know. How this change affects your opinion of a player or a group of players on the team. Matt, you you went with Bears' new head man, Matt Eberflus, the former Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator. Yeah, and, and honestly, I picked them because you guys got to the, the sheet <laughs> first, and you guys picked the two most interesting ones, I think. Uh, the other one, before I get to Eberflus, the one I, cons- other one I consider was Doug Peterson, who you know I think is interesting with, with uh, Trevor Lawrence. Um, had some success, obviously, with 
uh, with Carson Wentz and then Nick Foles in that Super Bowl year for for Philadelphia. So, you know, it, it seems kind of like a milquetoast hire. I've seen a lot of people kind of pan it. But, you know, he's had some quarterback success with, with, with players that are presumably less talented than Lawrence. So that one's interesting. Um, but Eberflus, uh, Eberflus, he was, like you said, the defensive coordinator for the Colts for the last four years. He In, th- in that time, he did produce two top ten total uh, defenses, six top ten rushing defense defenses, four top ten scoring defenses, and four top ten uh, defenses in terms of turnovers created. And he was kind of average in all of those stats uh, last season with the Colts, except for in turnovers created, which he was second in the league with. Uh, and he does bring with him Alan Williams, who was the, the defensive back safeties coach in, in Indianapolis for the last four years. Uh, and Alan Williams himself grew up with uh, Tony Dungy. So he's well-versed in the cover two defense. Um, and we'll bring some of that to Chicago, I'm sure. Um, so that's kind of, it's kind of an interesting hire because you think of the Bears and what they need, and they're coming from Matt Nagy, who is an offensive co- uh, co- head coach, um, but he didn't really have a whole lot of success with, with Justin Fields, right? So, um, so it's interesting to see that they went that direction. But they did. I think you have to talk about this in, in concert with the two defensive hires. Is uh, they did bring over the Packers uh, quarterback coach and offensive uh, passing game coordinator the last two seasons, Luke Getzey. Um, and you know, it, it, you can kind of debate how much the, the the quarterback coach has on a quarterback the the level of, of Aaron Rodgers. You know, we saw this with. Uh, um, uh, Adam Gase, when he was with Peyton, have success, and then when he moved on, he didn't really have a, have a ton of success after Peyton. Um, but just uh, just to throw something some some uh, positive things his way, you know, obviously in 2020, Rodgers was the MVP. He had the second best single season passer rating in NFL history with 121.5. Dan, do you know who had the first of all time? Probably Rodgers. It was Rodgers back in 2011 with 122.5. Uh, and then Rodgers last year also had uh, the, the, the league best mark at a 111.9. So, you know, hopefully with the the change in the defense, you know, Everflus and, and Williams really concentrating on that side, it lets get to who it'll be his first uh, first time as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Um, will we'll hopefully have some success with field. So it's a weird hire from from one standpoint, but I guess it makes sense from another when you consider the entire uh, coaching staff. I don't know. I, I thought it was a weird hire in general. Uh, I mean, Eberflus, based on everything we know, seems like a good candidate uh, in general uh, for a lot of the reasons you outlined there, Matt. But for this team with the young quarterback who struggled in year one, um, it doesn't feel great. As soon as Eberflus was hired, the 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 narrative and what you heard from everyone is that this might be the most important OC hire of of the off season. And you know the the third man in charge on the Packers is not necessarily inspiring, despite the success that they've had. Uh, I mean he he's never called plays before. Dan uh, pointed that out to me before we we started recording. This this is just like a shot in the dark on the offensive side of things. It I do not feel I don't feel better about my Justin Fields shares than I did a couple weeks ago. It's really interesting because in when when all these openings were were taking shape, the guy that I really wanted to land in Chicago for for those Justin Fields shares was was Brian Dable. You know, a guy who had done it with a with a size, speed, big arm quarterback in the past that had questions coming into the game, coming into the NFL, and of course, Dable ends up in New York, and and he happens to be the one that I picked. But sticking with this Bears part part of the conversation, 
you know, I think they wanted to get back to their roots. That's what it felt like. We have to have a defensive head coach. And I don't really have a problem with defensive head coaches. There's There's been a handful of them that have been great. Some of the best in the game right now, I, you know, off the top of your mind, Mike Tomlin, of course, comes to, comes to mind. And Bill Belichick, some of the best coaches in the game are defensive guys. But it's so difficult to find that young, up-and-coming uh, offensive coordinator. And and when you do get that, let's say Getze is that guy. Getze will be a head coach. He he got he got an interview this year with the Broncos. Getze did for their head coaching opening. So if they nail it with Getze, then then somebody's going to swoop in and grab him a year from now, and then we'll have another changing of the guard at at play caller for a young quarterback that we're at least a little bit concerned about for his for his upbringing. This will be his second offensive play caller. If, if if things go well, he'll go to I'll go on to his third most likely. So I I have some concerns with doing it this way. That all said, I'm not as concerned about Fields as maybe some dynasty managers are. I saw enough positive to make me feel like he's going to be a dynasty asset moving forward, and he he still has that elite upside that a lot of us thought he had. If there's a weakness in Justin Fields' game, it's that he he doesn't let it rip often enough. He stands in the pocket, and he did it at Ohio State. We talked about it on the podcast, I'm sure of it. He, he stands in the pocket, waits for that opening, waits to, for, the, for the receiver to hit that opening, and then holds it for another beat just to be sure that, that the guy is open. And you can't do that in the NFL. And he did it too much in the, already as a rookie. He took sacks, and he was forced to pull the ball and, and run a few times, especially late in the season when they, when they allowed him to. So until he gets that over that hump, which feels like something that you should be able to teach a quarterback to, to grip it and rip it and trust your instincts and throw the guy open, that feels like something that you can coach. You, you can't coach the arm strength and the athleticism and all the other stuff he has. So I'm not super concerned, and I feel like if they put the right offensive coaches around him, and we don't know enough about Getze, I'm not going to pretend because I'm a Packers fan that I know so much about him. If, if, if they nailed it, it could be great. When I think of the Packers offense, I think of that quick passing game and those RPOs, and that all sounds good for Justin Fields. So if they got it right, Justin Fields could take a huge step forward in year two. However, if they got it right, he might be step starting from square one in year three once again with a new offensive coordinator. Like I said, I went with... Um, I went with Bill's offensive coordinator, now uh, New York Giants head coach, Brian Dable. Uh, and and th- I, I mentioned that I, I really wanted Dable to end up in, in Chicago with Justin Fields. So if you feel that way because of what he did in his time with Josh Allen, Josh Allen had a 56% completion percentage in 18 and 19. He had a 6.6 yards per attempt. He threw 30 touchdowns and 21 interceptions in his first two years and and had a 78 uh, passer rating. Those are not good numbers. Of course, we all know as dynasty managers that he was not an accurate quarterback in at Wyoming. Of course, he didn't have all the all the talent around him and, and played a odd schedule, weak schedule. Um, the coaching staff, the, there were questions about that coaching staff as well. But but, but the but the receivers that were in Wyoming weren't great. Well, he proved a lot of us right as dynasty managers early in his career. And Matt, I know you were you were critical of of Josh Allen coming into the league and, and throughout his first couple of seasons. Then, 
with with Dable there for the first two seasons and in 2020 and 2021, 66% completion percentage, 7.3 yards per attempt, so nearly a whole yard. Not only respectable, but very good. 73 touchdowns compared to 30, 25 interceptions, and a 99 passer rating. Those are those are huge upgrades. Those number spikes uh, don't happen very often. And a lot of those accuracy issues that we saw at Wyoming and early in his career disappeared. And it's Dable that gets credit for a lot of that work. Now, Josh Allen has a has an unbelievable work ethic. And, you know, we, we kind of saw that highlighted throughout the playoff process on pregame shows and things like that. So the question now becomes, guys, that has to transfer over to the Giants. So, Ryan, I want to get your thoughts on because because the the Giants have said and Dable has said we're gonna we're gonna rally around this guy. Daniel Jones is is our guy. They've said it publicly, and we'll see how 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 much they mean that by because that fifth year option is coming on May third. They have to make that decision. But they seem to be saying all the right things that they want Jones to take those kind of steps forward. The the ownership group for the Giants have said we did everything we could to try to screw this kid up. There's some weapons in place. Now they have the coach, an offensive guru, quarterback whisperer. It doesn't sound too bad if you can get on board with Daniel Jones. Yeah, it, it is the perfect hire because uh, you're right. They they did do everything they could to to screw it up. Joe Judge certainly did not uh, did not help the situation. We know all about Gettleman there as the as the man putting the pieces together as the GM. Every, uh, they're all gone, right? So Dable gets to essentially start fresh, but I feel like he's got a lot of pressure on him because he, um, the expectation is he turns Daniel Jones in, into Josh Allen. I, I don't, I don't know that the talent ceiling is, is the same there, but um, all the almost all the negatives that we've been saying about Daniel Jones for the past two years as you kind of pointed out there, Dan, were also said about Josh Allen at one point in his career. Uh, the difference is Jones actually started out his career uh, with, with a little promise, with some big games, um, looked strong, was uh, was able to run the ball as well. So he feels right now like, like one of the easiest targets in Dynasty, especially Superflex Leagues, because he is so cheap. Uh, Dynasty managers and, and Giants fans and everyone else is so frustrated with him. But, I mean, you think about the offense top to bottom, um, there's there's a lot of pieces there that, in general, we should be excited about. Obviously, Saquon Barkley as the former 101 in, in Dynasty Leagues. Uh, Kenny Galladay was, was a wide receiver one in our ADP not so long ago. Um, Tony certainly flashed some upside as a rookie last year when he was on the field. So there's there's a lot to like about the individual pieces, and now it's up to Brian Dable to to put them all together. And and the similarities are don't really end there. What what us as dynasty managers thought of these two players, these two quarterbacks, Allen and Jones, coming out of the league, they were both kind of considered to be overdrafted by the NFL in dynasty circles. Yeah. But they they had their dual threat. Jones isn't exactly the same kind of athlete, but certainly can use his legs to make plays and, and create that floor for fantasy players. They're big and athletic, and, and they, they have the strong arm. 
Uh, Jones is a little bit underrated in that category, if you ask me. He's made some throws in his career that, that make you raise an eyebrow and say, whoa, that, that was Daniel Jones standing in there, taking that hit and delivering it over the middle. So there's something there. Ryan mentioned the, the playmakers around him, Matt. And that that reminds you a little bit about what they've had in Buffalo and what they've added in Buffalo as well. There's there's playmakers for Daniel Jones. There's upside for Kadarius Tony now. Maybe Kenny Galladay can get things back on track and, and Saquon can get things going in the right direction once again. I think at the very least there's reason for optimism for all these players, but it all centers around Daniel Jones. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's optimism there. It's just your, you know, what you want to pay pay for him. I, I think the differences are that unless you want to consider Tony or uh, Kenny Galladay as like that dominant wide receiver one, like what happened with Josh Allen with Stephon Diggs, that's when he really kind of took off and and became the Josh Allen we know today. He doesn't really have that level of of top option in my opinion, anyway. Um, but in terms of price, uh, if we go to the, the trade finder, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to, I, I, when I look at the trade finder, I like to kind of filter, filter out all the trades where there's like a million pieces on each side, because I don't know if there's really a whole lot to be gleamed from those. But f- if we go back to the middle of January, we have Jones in a super flex league for Kenneth Gainwell in a second. So I think, you know, a second round pick. And, you know, another piece is probably what you, you, if you, if you're a buyer, that's probably the range you want to be in. I don't know if I'm giving up a first, you know, maybe if you need a quarterback and you're in that 110 to 112 range in a super flex draft and aren't sure that one of these rookies that we're not that excited about anyway are going to make it there, then maybe that's a move you make. But I, I could not stomach spending a, a first, even a late first round pick right now on Daniel Jones. I, I don't think. What about you guys? No, you can you can do way better in the quarterback market with a first with yeah, any first round agreed. pick. If you're if you're selling that late first, you're looking for something on top of Daniel Jones to to build that trade out and and improve your roster all over. Yeah, so two seconds, maybe a second and another piece, something like that. I think that's the most you should be that, looking. To that might be even point. a little higher than what you have to spend too, Ryan. What are your thoughts? I think that's. That's part of the good news about trying to buy these players, not just Jones, but really all of those key pieces. They've lost so much value over the past year. I mean, Saquon Barkley's a late second rounder, and, and Jones is, you know, quarterback 25 or 26 or something like that in our ADP. I mean, and Galladay is, is basically off, off the table. I mean, these guys have just lost a huge percentage of their value over the past year, and that's that's the allure of buying them right now and, and seeing if uh, if Dable can, in fact, turn it around. Listeners of the show know that I'm a big Kadarius Tony fan, and I, I feel like he can be a weapon. I, I like the idea of him playing that Cole Beasley role underneath. I think I like the idea of him playing some of the Stephon Diggs downfield stuff as well. I think I think this is a perfect marriage for him. So if you want to if you want to buy into Dable being the guy there but aren't, convinced that Jones is the way to do that. Maybe uh, putting some feelers out there for a guy like Kadarius Tony would be the way to go. Ryan, you're... I think... Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I just wanted to add on the Buffalo side of things. I mean, they really lucked out even having Dable this past season because he got head coaching interviews uh, a year ago and, and many people expected him to get a job for whatever reason that didn't work out. So they were fortunate to have him... Uh, during this past season 
and then they just nailed the the situation after he left. They uh, promote Ken Dorsey, who was the quarterback coach. Uh, Dable tried to take Dorsey with him to New York to be the OC. Uh, instead, Dorsey stays and is now the offensive coordinator. What, call plays. Yeah, and he can call he, plays in Buffalo. He's he's now the man in Buffalo, and, and then. Uh, I don't. I don't know. There's got to be something about Joe Brady that we're missing because uh, he he was one of those head coaching candidates a year ago as well. Uh, the assistant, uh, the offensive coordinator for Carolina. We know how that went. They struggled. He gets fired midseason, and now he has to settle for a quarterback coaching job. And he's he's uh, now on staff in Buffalo. So Dable is obviously a a top end assistant and offensive coordinator. But to to promote the guy in house, who um, I mean, Dorsey by all accounts is is very well thought of and uh, very talented on that front, and obviously knows Josh Allen already. And then to bring in Brady as well is just a home run uh, for that situation. Don't you feel like uh, Brady was kind of a scapegoat fire, though? I feel like it wasn't really necessarily on him for for Carolina's season. So I, I totally do, but I I also. If that's the case, I don't know why he couldn't get an OC job somewhere. That's that's a good point. Or, I mean, he he should be the offensive coordinator in Chicago right now. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yep. So anyway, uh, the guy I chose was Nathaniel Hackett uh, with the Broncos, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of fantasy managers were looking at at this situation, this head coach opening as uh, as maybe the most important because of all the pieces that are already in place there for Denver. A lot of players that we like, a lot of players that have value. Of course, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, Javante Williams uh, among them. And notice I did not say a quarterback there, right? Teddy Bridgewater uh, didn't necessarily have a successful year there. He's now a free agent. Uh, Drew Locke got a little bit of a chance this season during uh, Bridgewater's injury. I think he showed if there was any, if he had any believers, he showed that uh, he he can't be trusted as a starting quarterback. So that will really be um, the the most important move that Hackett and, and the front office there in Denver make is filling that quarterback role. And obviously because Hackett came from Green Bay, as soon as he was hired, uh, people started connecting the dots, uh, both in the media and, and fans, that this could be a landing spot for Aaron Rodgers. I even saw that Rodgers is now the betting favorite to be the quarterback in Denver next season. Um, so... There's a long way to go to see it, see if something like that happens, but I think regardless if it's if it's Aaron Rodgers or if it's someone else, they're going to they're going to give Hackett his quarterback. They're going to find a way to seriously upgrade that position, and that's going to be um, that's going to be huge, obviously for for Judy, for Sutton, and everyone else there. That's the idea that these guys um, and, and the the Broncos brought. I think his name's Justin Alton, the the tight ends coach from Green Bay, over to be the offensive coordinator. They, of course, wanted Getzey as well, but Getzey wanted to call plays, so chose Chicago. Um, and Nathaniel Hackett is going to call those plays. Now Hackett didn't even call plays in Green Bay, although he's done that in the past. Of course, he he did that in Jacksonville. Um, the the yeah. there's so many questions and. You know, if I had the second pick in this, in, in this, and somebody had already chosen Dable, I would have chosen Nathaniel Hackett to talk about 
But the problem is we, there's just too many unknowns without knowing what the quarterback situation is, is going to look like there. And we can, we can you know, hoot and holler and, and say, oh, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers or, or they're going to fix it with this veteran. But until we know exactly who's going to be there, Matt, I, I just don't know if we can take anything that's happening in Denver and transfer it to Dynasty, at least not make trades based on anything. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you want to speculate, like, I don't know. I mean, like, we tried this last season when we thought it might happen with Rodgers going there, right? We were like, oh, let's buy Sutton cheap. Let's try to buy Judy at, at whatever, you know, basement price we can get there. At that time, we thought Judy, about Judy a little bit differently, but um, and it didn't really work out for us. So, you know, I mean, I, I think there's going to be better than Drew Locke. Uh, but you know, is it going to be better than Teddy Bridgewater? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. So, um, there's going to be competition, but I agree with you. There's, there's too many unknowns right now to really, uh, to really invest in that situation unless you just want to speculate. Well, you talk about speculating, but I mean, what we know is that most dynasty players are reactionary and, and they're, they are going to wait until, they trade for Aaron Rodgers or they trade for Russell Wilson or they move up and draft uh, whoever QB one ends up being in this class. Um, and then the, the narrative is going to be, let's go buy Jerry Judy and, and Cortland Sutton. And at that point it's too late. Their yeah. price is already um, has already skyrocketed. So I don't think, I mean, we've talked about Fant on here a lot. I think all of us are kind of, kind of off him for the moment, but if you still believe in the talent of Sutton or Judy, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to to target those guys right now before they figure out the quarterback situation. Dan, you mentioned Hackett had called plays in the past. Um, I meant to say this earlier. So three years in Green Bay. Prior to that, three years in Jacksonville as the offensive coordinator and two seasons with Buffalo as the offensive coordinator. That's, of course, pre-Josh Allen. Um, he didn't have great quarterback situations. He coached EJ Manuel and, and Blake Bortles, a couple of first round, uh, bust. He also, he, he didn't do much with that talent. I, I would not say he's maximized his talent so far. And in, in two seasons, he only had one top 12 fantasy player in Buffalo. That was a, a low end RB one season in three seasons in Jacksonville. He had one QBC QB one season from Blake Bortles in, in that garbage time year that we remember one RB one season and one wide receiver two season. And of course you look at green Bay, the past three seasons and Rogers and Jones and Adams uh, ha- have all produced at a high level, but I don't think any of us are, are giving Hackett too much credit for that. Um, so I don't know. Certainly lots of unanswered questions in Denver, even though we know this piece, um, I, I guess I would end it by saying I'm still trying to buy Jerry Judy because I still believe in the talent there. That's what I was going to say. Jerry Ju- Judy is the is the target. I think you know down season and you know maybe a little bit of depressed price. Uh, and with Hackett, the the one thing I remember about Hackett, to be honest, in Jacksonville was that 45, I think 45, 42, something like that playoff game against Pittsburgh where, you know, they had, they had a pretty good season. I think they were like 12 and four, 11 and five, something like that, that season and won, won a couple of playoff games. So maybe there's something there. There may be, we're going to transfer the conversation to some rookie draft talk. Let's talk trade. 
Yeah, I mentioned it in the open. We're going to examine the price of the 101 in 2022 rookie drafts. Ryan, you uh, made a call to the to the DLF uh, army, I guess, asking for if anybody's dealing these picks, and you got a few responses. Got a ton of responses. The the 101 is being traded quite a bit, it seems like. Uh, yeah, reached out on, on Twitter and, and just asked people if they're trading this pick or if they're trading for this pick. Uh, I think the general perception right now is is this is not the year that you want to have the 101 in in rookie drafts. That was uh, that was mentioned in in a lot of the responses I saw, and and I get that. I mean, right now there's not a clear cut 101 rookie pick. If you're whether you're talking about one quarterback leagues or super flex leagues, there's lots of options, right? It could be Brees Hall, it could be Isaiah Spiller, it could be a couple of those wide receivers like Traylon Burks or Garrett Wilson. If you're talking super flex league, there's there's at least three quarterbacks that could end up as the QB one uh, in both the NFL draft and in in dynasty rookie draft. So I I think that uncertainty has led to a, a drop in value. That's at least the perception. But then when you look at these trades, even up 101 for DeAndre Swift, who we know is a a first round dynasty startup pick. 101 for Javante Williams, who is a first-round Dynasty startup pick. Even up for A.J. Brown, same thing. So these are these are top 12 overall players being acquired for a, a rookie pick that we're not even sure who it might be. Uh, and those are just three of, of the trades that that we uh, that we we got back in this question and most of the others were less than that, less than that. I saw a lot of people downgrading, moving down from one Oh one to the middle of the first and getting a, a future first or moving down for two later first in this class. Um, but, but those three trades certainly stood out that uh, people were able to, to pull that even in this uh, what's viewed as a down year. Most likely that's all because of you know, draft season and, and getting the fever mad and, and wanting to be a part of the top of a draft class. Um, so outside of those top end drafts, what are, what's your feeling on the, on the 101 in rookie drafts? I know you just got into scouting these guys, but, but you have to have a feel for how you're going to, uh, how you're going to move forward and get into draft season. What is it for you? Yeah, like Ryan said, I understand the sentiment to get out of the 101, and I think one trade on here was 101 and OBJ for the 102 and 103. I, th- I think I like that one, um, and obviously I'd rather have A.J. Brown and Swift and these other guys that you talked about. Um, but, you know, it, somebody always emerges, and you there's value in having your pick of the litter, so to speak, right? And that 101 is going to increase value until we get to your rookie draft, at which point somebody is going to want to have that. Um, that top piece. And I don't know, I don't think you're going to be able to do better than AJ Brown or, or DeAndre Swift. So if you can make that kind of deal right now, then, then absolutely. But otherwise, you're going to, I would, I would, you know, recommend waiting for that. Um, but the way I approached this question was to kind of go back at the last couple of drafts and, and look at where the top player uh, was going in August startup drafts. After we've had the rookie drafts, uh, the NFL draft, your rookie draft, and are really heading into the season, I think that's where we really start to see the, the true value of how the community is, is valuing uh, these top rookies. So 
Um, and the last two classes, you know, we had pretty good feelings about about those classes in general. Um, so I'm not sure how relevant those are if you want if you want to say that this class doesn't have those players. But just for fun, last uh, last August we had uh, Najee Harris as the first running back taken at 10th overall, uh, running back six, and Jamar Chase as 24th overall wide receiver 10 in 2020. Clyde edwards Hilaire, fifth overall RB5. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, CeeDee Lamb, 44th overall wide receiver 20. Um, so I think in general, we can say that the, you know, the, 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 the first player, first couple of players that they go off the board uh, and, in, and in startup drafts where you're including draft picks, those typically come off the board, I think, somewhere in the second round. Some years it's the early part of the second round. Some years it's later. Sometimes it's, you know, the early third round, depending on the class. Um, so that was kind of the, the picture in 2019. If you if you remember that class, that's another class where we weren't really sure what was going on at the top. Uh, we had players like Nikhil Harry. We had players like Josh Jacobs. Um, those were really the first two uh, wide running back and wide receivers to go off in August 2019 startups. Jacobs was the 32nd overall pick, running back 14. Harry was 62 overall, wide receiver 29. So he lost quite a bit of value after that first rookie drafts that happened, uh, you know, in April and, and a little bit before that. So, you know, if we were to look at, and this is obviously not an apples to apples comparison because we don't look at trade value by strictly ADP alone. But if we go back and to, to our current startup uh, uh, ADP in January, um, if you go down and want to compare it to the 2019 class, you go down to the 32 second overall player. We're looking at players like Devonte Smith, Cam Akers, Terry McLaurin, Elijah Mitchell, Derrick Henry down at 35. And, you know, I don't necessarily think I would trade the 101 or excuse me, trade any of these players for the 101 straight up. Like these are still players that I want to build around. They're players that we know that are good. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I, I think the 101 is decreased in value this year, but if you have it, unless you can get one of those sweetheart deals, like Ryan mentioned earlier, like I think the move is to, to hold right now. Well, you, you mentioned that usually that 101 ends up in the second round, right? Yeah, and if we're talking that, we're talking about... By the time August comes around. Yeah, and if we're talking about players in that range, we're talking about, you know, the Stephon Diggs, T. Higgins, Nick Chubb, J.K. Dobbins of the world. And in that case, I I absolutely want the player over the 101, at least right now. I think that's the takeaway, is that to, to go look at that range of player between 15 and 25... And try to find a target inside of there. If you're not convinced, you're going to be in love with the with the, with using that first pick in the draft, and then just work your way out from there and find that line. I'm not sure where that is. It's uh, there's certainly a handful of names you mentioned. A couple of them, Jalen Waddles in there, Debo Samuel's in there. If you could get one of those guys, even T Higgins. I know one of those responses you got, Ryan, had T Higgins and a mid second. That seems like a a fair offer seems like something that could be accepted. I don't have a problem with those kind of deals if you're not in love with this class. I think I saw someone in, in Ryan's thread too say that they got Kyle Pitts for the one on one. So I mean obviously if you can do that, you gotta go do that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see that one, but there were like I said, there were a ton of responses. So thank you to all those people who uh shared some information with us. Uh, I, I think the move, and, and I certainly recognize this is easier said than done, but I think the ultimate move right now is is to buy the 101 or, or really, I mean, when we're having a 101 conversation, we're we're really talking about a, the top two, three picks um, because, as we said, we, we're not even sure who the 101 is. So, um, But to buy those top two or three picks right now and, and sell them later because whether it's rookie fever, whether it's uh, a player establish, establishing himself as the clear top guy or, or two, two players 
and kind of creating a, a tier of their own eventually. Uh, we think these picks are going to gain value, and and I do think I, I do think they will settle in that range where Matt was talking about the the Swift and the Williams and the Brown and and the Pitts deal. I think those are mostly outliers. There was also a, a trade of 1.06 and Leonard Fournette for the 101. So if you can buy for that right now and then sell in in April or May or June, I think that's that's the way to go. Before we move on to our next segment, let's uh, let's talk about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. The Super Bowl is coming up this weekend, and we are excited for it. Perfect time to join Monkey Knife Fight Daily Fantasy Sports for the rest of us. So instead of playing with with against so many of these professional players, like on other DFS sites, on Monkey Knife Fight, you you don't have any caps. No salary caps. Instead, you choose from unique, easy-to-play games, including the popular More or Less contests, where you can bet on if your favorite NFL player or just any NFL player in the Super Bowl will go over or under the yards total that he's projected to get for the game. Do a couple of those, stack them together, and double, triple, quadruple, up to 10 times your money. It's so much fun. You can also play other major sports as well as golf, UFC, NASCAR, and more. All you have to do to get in on this offer is sign up for a new account with Monkey Knife Fight with that first time deposit, and you're going to receive not only a full match of that opening deposit up to $100 with the promo code DLF, you're also going to get a free year of DLF, uh, DLF Premium. So, your DLF subscription gets set up right away. Uh, you'll get an extra year added to your DLF subscription if you already have it. Just log on to DynastyLeagueFootball.com, click the image for Monkey Knife Fight, and follow the instructions to get started today. You know, we did this this change, fellas, uh, a couple of weeks ago, new segments, uh, trying to get more information out. But one of the main reasons I really wanted to do this, guys, was so we could do more mock drafts. And we could fit it in while still getting a lot of information in. Ryan, Matt, I know you both love mock drafts. And we're going to kick it off uh, with our first mock of the offseason right now. The DLF Dynasty Podcast Mock Draft. Yes, it's the DLF Dynasty Podcast Mock Draft. We're going to go as many rounds as we can. Uh, at least five or six, but we'll see how many we get in. Uh, Twelve teams, single quarterback. I drew the fourth pick. Ryan, he drew, drew pick number eight. And Matt ended up on the turn at number 12. Might as well kick things off right away. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and Jonathan Taylor go one, two, three. I was sitting at four. The, the worst spot to have, right? And I was really hoping Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, really. The you worst got. One. You got three uh, three studs at the top. Everybody has the same three, it feels like, guys, but it may be in different order. I'm just fine settling for Jonathan Taylor, but it feels like I'm really settling at four. Considering DeAndre Swift, I typically like to get that stud running back to build around and then hammer the wide receiver position. Um, considering CeeDee Lamb as well, this time I'm going to go with DeAndre Swift and see if I can't uh, hit three or four or five wide receivers in a row coming up. After Swift goes at four, uh, we see Christian McCaffrey at five, then CeeDee Lamb, followed by DK Metcalf, and Ryan, you are up. 
Yeah, in some ways, this was an easy choice uh, because of who I'm drafting with. Uh, looking at Matt over there, I've got to go with Kyle Pitts. Um, <laughs> definitely in this position, I want to I want to take a pass catcher, not looking to take a running back here. That's kind of my general strategy in any season. I think it's especially the case this year. Uh, after after Taylor is gone, you know, obviously I would have had to consider Swift if he fell this far. But beyond that, I'm looking for a pass catcher. Lock up that tight end. Even though it's not tight end premium, we've seen Kyle Pitts going this high or even higher. And, and then don't really have to worry about uh, that position. The rest of the draft can focus on loading up on wide receivers. After Pitts, Najee Harris, then Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown went. And Matt gets to round out round one. Yeah, just just my quick thoughts here on the first round. I, I do think the fourth pick is the toughest one, and if I can't trade out of it, which I think is the optimal move, I think I'm taking pits that high because I don't want any of these other running backs in the first round, um, and there's enough wide receivers to go around. But here at the turn, what was left for me, uh, I took Jalen Waddle and then uh, went back, came back with T. Higgins, um, both two young wide receivers. That's how I often will start my drafts, startup drafts anyway. So uh, made sense here. There were a couple other options uh, with the Higgins pick where I could have went. You know, I could have went played the the one young, one old guy and grabbed Adams or or even my buddy Cooper Cup. Um, but uh, elected to go with the two young guys who should be uh, uh, cornerstones for my team to, for years to come. I like that. That's a that's a good way to go. When I picked DeAndre Swift at four, Higgins was one of the targets on the swing that he'd make it all the way back to me. So he barely gets into the second round. Another guy that I really wanted, Debo Samuel, went a few picks later. Uh, between Higgins and Samuel, it went Saquon Barkley, Delvin Cook, and Elvin Kamara. Ryan, you were the guy who, who got me with Debo. Yeah, Debo Samuel at the 2.05. As I said, I want I know I want to build around pass catchers. Um, that Debo Samuel breakout season was, was unbelievable. Epic. Um, I don't know that we'll see him repeat that, but I, uh, he certainly is for real uh, here to stay and, and has moved way up my draft boards and, and my rankings. So this, this was a pretty easy pick looking at the other receivers available. We did get a quick blurb uh, of that Debo Samuel's role will not change next year. You know, who knows what that means in January, but, uh, you know, if, if it does stay the same, then I think he's a locked-in second-round pick and maybe even a tail end of the first round. Yeah, that, those regular carries didn't come until the 49ers needed him to get him to make the playoffs. I have a feeling that he'll be a wide receiver early in the season once again, and then when the, when push comes to shove and they need him once the postseason gets closer or a playoff spot is on the line, they'll use him just the same way, but we'll see how that plays out. After Samuel at the 205, it went Devontae Adams, Nick Chubb, and DJ Moore. That left me hoping to get my wide receiver one, the last guy I was really comfortable taking as my wide receiver one or just young enough to, to have the upside coming off the injury, it's Chris Godwin. I think he's one of the guys that, that profiles as the could-be wide receiver one overall. I know he's a free agent. Uh, no Tom Brady if he ends up back in Tampa Bay, but I love Chris Godwin and, and feel good about any team that I have with him on it. Once Godwin goes off at the 209, it goes Austin Eckler, then Stefan Diggs, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson is the first pick in round three, then Zeke and Derrick Henry. So a little run of running backs, Gibson, Elliott, and Henry. I'm on the clock at 304, and guys, I can't believe he's available 
Javante Williams goes after guys like Zeke um, and Antonio Gibson even, Derrick Henry. I'll take Javante Williams. I wanted to go wide receiver, wide receiver here, but with Williams available, i got to take the value. Ooh, yeah, that – I don't think uh, you know. Anytime you do a mock draft, there's going to be something that's a little bit, uh, a little bit off. Makes you shake your head. And I think this is this is that example in this one. Uh, Williams is is almost locked in as a late first, early second round pick. It seems like so. You got lucky with this one, Dan. Yeah, really. I should have taken him at the two hundred nine, but had I had already taken DeAndre Swift with my first pick and didn't want to go really running back, running back went with Godwin and couldn't believe that three running backs went between in those six between actually four with Eckler and uh, Williams wasn't one of them. So after Williams at the three Oh five Cooper cup, then Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones. And that put Ryan back up. Uh, Yeah. Sticking with the theme of focusing on wide receivers, lots of, lots of options in this range, but I I think the best of them is Deontay Johnson. So that's who I took here. Then it went Mike Evans and Patrick Mahomes as the first quarterback off the board. Then Calvin Ridley and Matt, you get to finish up round three. Yeah. Big surprise. McDowell sniping both of us over and over. I was hoping to grab Deontay here at this turn and and finish out that that starting wide receiver core. Um, But with, the rest of these wide receivers in this range kind of feeling all the same. Uh, consider Jerry Judy here. Um, but, you know, I think there's still a lot of question marks there to go around. So decided to grab the first running back, J.K. Dobbins. I think he'll be um, – I think he'll be a running back one next season, whether he's going to catch passes or not. And we did see a propensity for the the uh, Ravens to throw the ball more in 2021. So hopefully that continues into 2022. And then I doubled up with Ravens at the turn at 4.1 and took Mark Andrews, my tight end, to uh, – with a pretty get big gap between him and the next um, few guys for me. So double Ravens there uh, to round out my first four rounds. It, interesting. The first three rounds, 16 running backs go in those 36 picks. So relatively high percentage. Um, we only saw the one tight end Kyle picks and at, at eight overall one quarterback, uh, Patrick Mahomes, the third to last pick of the third round. So after Andrews, Matt, uh, DeAndre Hopkins went off the board and Jerry Judy followed by Travis Kelsey and that left Ryan on the clock. You going to go wide receiver again? You know, when you go when you go wide receiver heavy, this this is the the perfect way for it to land. You got to gamble on a running back at some point and I gambled on one with with pretty high upside Cam Akers here at 4.05. Um a, again, kind of like Matt said about Dobbins, I think Akers could immediately return um, next season as as a top twelve option, both both uh, on the field as far as his production and in uh, when it comes to value. So love getting him here. Yeah, that you, you mentioned that Javante Williams was such a value, and it's certainly a bigger value than the one you got here with Acres. But you you can't be angry about getting Acres in the fourth round, especially after what he has done throughout this postseason. After Acres, couple wide receivers, Devontae Smith and Amari Cooper, followed by Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I was really hoping Devontae Smith or Jerry Judy would get to me. They did not, so I had to settle for Michael Pittman as my wide receiver tool, too. Then it went Chase Claypool, David Montgomery, and Lamar Jackson to finish round four. So through four rounds in this single quarterback startup mock, Matt, you were picking from the 12th spot. What do you got so far? 
Got Waddle, Higgins, Dobbins, and Andrews. And, uh, you know, I think typically I wouldn't have a running back here if I was doing a startup, but Dobbins presented enough value. Um, and then the Andrews tight end at 4.1 is, is, is my range, too. I want to have a, one of those elite tight ends at the top. And, and if it's not Pitts or Kittle, it's Andrews, and I have Andrews a little bit above Kittle. I was drop, drafting from the four spot, and like we said at the beginning, that's not a great spot to be drafting. I did get DeAndre Swift, who I'm happy with, and, and added Javante Williams at running back. Typically, two running backs in my first three picks is not what I'm trying to do, but it felt like I got value. I, I would much rather have taken CeeDee Lamb with that fourth pick overall if I knew I was going to get Williams where I did. Maybe if I take Will, uh, Lamb at four, I might have taken Javante Williams at the end of the second, though, uh, because already that was too much value. Um, got Godwin, and then... Really settled for Michael Pittman. Didn't love my options there. It was Pittman, Claypool, Rashad Bateman was available right there. Or some of the older guys, uh, Keenan Allen was available as well. Could have gone with Elijah Moore if I wanted to really, really go kind of kind of reach with that pick. He, he showed so much promise as a rookie, though. Maybe I should have gone that way. Uh, Ryan, you were picking from the eighth spot through four rounds, a tight end, a couple wide receivers, and a young stud running back. Got to feel good about where you're at. Yeah, Akers, uh, Debo Samuel, Deontay Johnson, and Kyle Pitts, and I'm just hoping we can turn this into a real league somehow. Okay, all right. So to kick off round five, a couple quarterbacks went off the board, Josh Allen and Kyler Murray, then Rashad Bateman, who I wanted to slip to me, at the fourth pick in the fifth round, I ended up going with his teammate, Hollywood Brown. Um, the the huge season to start 2021 and kind of tailed off towards the end, but feels like and, and certainly felt played like a solid wide receiver, too, for much of the season. I'm hoping he gets back to that. We'll see what happens with Bateman and Brown. And, of course, Mark Andrews gets a big chunk of that offense as well once uh, once Lamar Jackson is back. Mini run on tight ends then. Darren Waller and TJ Hawkinson, followed by Keenan Allen, and that put Ryan on the clock once again to get us. Did I get you guys again? In, in the <laughs> Yeah, it really feels like you do. Every time I turned around, Ryan was picking the guy either I just barely passed on or the guy I really wanted to get to. Yeah, again, I mean, I think my default with, with every – Every time I get on the clock, my default is young, high upside wide receiver. And sometimes you have to pivot away from that if there's not one or um, if you if you've got, just feel like you have to go with another wide another position because of value. Um, but I, I stuck with that default and went with Elijah Moore here at 508. Um, honestly, didn't really consider anyone else. He He kind of fell in my lap there. Yeah, I probably I had two shots at him. Went with Pittman and Hollywood and Byers remorse right away. Uh, at nine, the ninth pick in the fifth round, Cortland Sutton, followed by George Kittle and Justin Herbert. That put you on the swing once again, Matt. Yeah, it was interesting to see Kittle go after Hawkinson and Waller. I would figure he would have went soon after Andrews, but uh, he made it. Whoever is in team in spot ten, they got a deal there. And then I knew I, I knew I was likely to take a quarterback in this range because, like tight end, I want to have a quarterback that has, uh, you know, kind of weak winning potential. And we got that with Joe Burrow. Oh, excuse me, that's a six. That's the six point one pick. But my first pick of this turn was Amon Ross St. Brown. We talked about him in the wide receiver tier uh, uh, episode a few weeks ago, and. I don't know. The more and more I look at what he did down the stretch of that season, the more and more I like his profile. I don't think they're going to add, uh, you know, more more than one or two 
wide receivers to 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 really that can compete with with Brown. And I think he's going to be a focal point of that offense. So to get someone like that, that you know, if we look at if we look at Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Elijah Moore and what they did in their rookie seasons, I don't think they're that that far apart. So after missing out on Moore, uh, St. Brown was an easy pick here. When you look at the remaining receivers. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, Joe Burrow to get that elite quarterback upside at 6.1. Really, if you look at production alone, it, it's, a, it's a little bit surprising that Amon Ross St. Brown held on longer than Elijah Moore. The two rookies that I think everybody in the Dynasty community is excited about certainly want those guys on our teams, but uh, didn't really realize that, that I might have been missing out on Amon Ross St. Brown until, until Moore went before him. So kind of surprised there. Um, following the, the Joe Burrow pick by Matt, it went Dak Prescott, then Daryl Henderson, kind of a surprising pick, Josh Jacobs, and that put you on the clock, right? Yeah, like I said, looking for wide receivers at all times. Didn't, didn't see any in this range that I liked, so I went with, uh, instead of a young wide receiver with upside, I went with a young running back with upside uh, and went with A.J. Dillon here. Yeah, and you got me. I was hoping he'd get to me. I uh, I was I was on the clock three picks later. Be- between us, Kareem Hunt, then Allen Robinson, and James Robinson. I got Kadarius Tony, so I went with the young wide receiver. Was hoping to get Dylan here, maybe Kadarius Tony. Tony after the turn uh, didn't quite happen. After my Tony pick, Travis Etienne, Miles Sanders, and Tyler Lockett to finish out round six. Then Brandon Ayuk. Mike Williams and Tony Pollard go off the board to start weeks or excuse me round seven. I thought I better if I wanted him better take him. I I went with Trey Lance, so he ends up being the eighth quarterback off the board. Maybe a little high for some, but as everybody that listens to the podcast knows, I prefer him over the other 2021 rookie quarterbacks um, by quite a ways. And, uh, those other guys started going off the board right away after. So Trevor Lawrence goes at the seven Oh five, then Noah Fant and Terrace Marshall, Ryan, you're up once again. Yeah. The, the value again, kind of fell to me. This is not a player I necessarily believe in. We talked about him on last week's show and, and I kind of had some, some questions about him, but late in the seventh round, when, when Elijah Mitchell's there, you take him. So that's what I did. Yeah, great value once again. Their third running back, a group of Cam Akers, A.J. Dillon, and Elijah Mitchell. This looks like a team that's going to be a problem for the, that Team 12, Matt, and Team 4, Dan, for years to come, Matt. We're, we're, we're lucky this isn't a real league, it feels like to me. Yeah, and looking back at you know our January ADP, Mitchell was a third round pick. So <laughs> I don't know if it was just the particular uh, tool we're using for this mock draft or what, but I did not even really have him on my radar. Um, so good job for Ryan grabbing him at a at extreme value. I would say definitely should have uh, kept a closer eye on the the RB one in San Francisco. Um, after Mitchell, it went Justin Fields and Russell Wilson, followed by Juju Smith Schuster. And Matt's up for two once again. Yeah, I took a couple pretty speculative picks here. Um, you know, Rondell Moore, obviously a crush of mine from last uh, last draft season and uh, didn't really pan out necessarily from a production standpoint or a usage standpoint, honestly, in, in year one. But still have the faith, still think they're going to be able to figure out how to get him involved. They have the elite quarterback. 
Um, you know, and uh, after after Hopkins, there's not a ton to write home about at wide receiver there in Arizona. So still like the upside there at 712. And then I grabbed this, my second running back, Michael Carter, again, another like, you know, I don't know if we could necessarily call him a disappointment based on the draft capital that he got and all of that. But, you know, if you were relying on him in year one, you didn't you didn't really get too much other than a few uh, startable weeks there. But uh, I still think he's the best talent at running back on that team you know maybe they bring somebody else back uh bring somebody else in to compete with him but i think he is going to be uh that that primary receiving back for the team and that's what we want out of our running backs especially this late when we're looking to piece together uh, a running back two position a trio of veteran wide receivers go ahead of ryan's pick it went robert woods michael thomas and adam thielen and mcdowell's up once again this this is probably the first pick that uh, that no one really stood out at at any of the positions. Uh, I'd already taken Kyle Pitts. This would normally be a spot I might gamble on tight end, um, but didn't need to do that. So ultimately, I just settled for a player that I think is the wide receiver one on his team, and he's young and, and comes with some upside because of that. So I, I took Darnell Mooney here. Yeah, that's another solid pick for McDowell. I like that one. Was hoping he'd make it to me. Did not. After him, Chase Edmonds, Brandon Cooks, then Dallas Goddard, who is my safety safety net, kind of wanted him uh, this pick. I came up, and I took James Conner just to add another running back that – I feel will if he's not back in Arizona, which I, I kind of am counting on at this point. I feel like he's really gonna um, really gonna get get a good opportunity wherever he lands. the The eighth round finished up with Damian Harris, Tyler Boyd, and Kenny Galladay. So that's eight rounds of a startup mock draft. Matt, you your starting quarterback, Joe Burrow, uh, a few, a couple running backs in those top eight rounds, J.K. Dobbins, and then Michael Carter late. But really, your team was built around young wide receivers, Jalen Waddle, T. Higgins, Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Rondale Moore. On top of Mark Andrews in round four, feels like you have a really good, solid base moving moving into year one of this dynasty league. Yeah, I feel good about that. You know, if we were to continue this draft, I'd probably be looking to add some cheap veteran production at wide receiver and running back to kind of just round out and and allow me to, you know, compete in year one if some of these wide receiver, young wide receivers don't quite work out in their second year. So I feel pretty pretty good about the team. Definitely uh, has some work to do to be a strong competitor. Um, but love the base and excited would be excited to have this team, especially the, the, the Burrow and Higgins stack there. I like that quite a bit. I was picking out of the four slot, and I ended up with Trey Lance as my quarterback in round seven. Never really picked a tight end in in the first eight rounds of this draft. Would probably be looking at a guy like Pat Fryermuth or or to to stack with one of the veterans like Hunter Henry or Dawson Knox. Um, the the core of my team is really the running back position. DeAndre Swift and Javante Williams added James Conner late. And then at wide receiver, I had Chris Godwin, Michael Pittman, Hollywood Brown, and Kadarius Toney. I'd be continuing to look for, for whatever value I could find at wide receiver to build off of that. Ryan, you were picking out of the eight slot and never got around to taking a quarterback, but did invest in tight end early. It was Kyle Pitts. Your wide receivers are full of upside. Do- Samuel, Deontay Johnson, Elijah Moore, and Darnell Mooney. And then those three stud running backs, Cam Akers, A.J. Dillon, and Elijah Mitchell. Feels like you are are stacked with youth. Yeah, this team is actually a lot more balanced uh, through eight rounds than than I would normally have with the three running backs and already having the tight end. Um, It's... 
it's not unusual for me through eight rounds to have six wide receivers and uh, maybe maybe one back or, or a couple backs. So this is a little bit different, but uh, the the value with a couple of those running backs falling worked out. And, and really, I feel like my goal, the first half of a dynasty startup draft, which is basically what we did here, is to try to only take players that I think can gain value. Those those uh those assets that are, are still appreciating and um, focusing on young players and uh, and mostly pass catchers. I, I feel like that's what I did. We appreciate you listening to this edition of the DLF Dynasty podcast, and especially for listening on this mock draft. It's our first of many. We're going to get a good round of Superflect mocks. We're going to talk a lot of rookie drafts and, and do mocks of the same kind. I like having all 12 teams in there. We can build an actual core. We're going to continue to do that as we move forward. For Ryan and Matt, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the DLF Dynasty podcast. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.